You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbins and Matt Smith. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 87 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in Matt's conservatory studio this week, it's... My co-host, Matt Smith. Hello, 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 everybody. You've, you've managed to fight his way through the traffic that was oh, uh, a nightmare to, today. You're a bit broad. late, yes. uh, hence the reason we're 13 minutes late. Yes, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, never, ever, ever, unless something is really urgent, uh, and you, I don't know, uh, you've got a family member maybe that lives in Lowestoftland or Alton Broad, never, ever, ever go there. I have to go there twice a day, and it is what I can only describe as sheer hell. Uh, you have relatives in Alton Broad, don't you? Yes, you I do. You go to visit... Um, them and it, uh, it it's not fun is it let's be honest no no mm. no i had um i had a rather interesting day today matt did you yeah well, I, you I had do? a i had a little uh a, a cross-country jaunt did you yeah a bit of a longer one this time it was um just under 100 miles i went 100 miles? Uh, i went to uh from from beckles to ipswich right. i flew over the orwell bridge Ooh. and then i went from there to bury st edmunds Lovely. Yes, those I've you, heard of those of you who heard of Bear and Edmonds on the, in the chat room. Yes. And then I went from there to... Uh, I went over Watersham, actually, Watersham Air Base, where mm. the Apaches are based. The, oh, the six, You know, cool. the gunships, the gunships yeah. are based there at uh, Watersham. I flew over there. I had to, um, had to talk to them, which was rather interesting, because really? I, um, I managed to make the biggest faux pas I think you could ever make oh, no. in, in flying history. Which uh, was? Matty Fab will, will, um, will guess what I'd done wrong, because when I called Watersham, uh, to tell them that that, that I, I was me and right. I was okay. doing things. Yeah. Um, Did I... you introduce yourself as Carlos? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Golf Alpha Victor Hotel Mike. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, so I told them, uh, Watersham, that I was at uh, flight level one six zero. Right. Because I was at sixteen hundred feet. Okay, one thousand yes. six hundred feet. Uh, so I told Watersham that I was at flight level one six zero. Right. And um, I got a funny reply. My instructor, after the call, said that uh, you do realise that you've just told them that you're at 16,000 feet. Oh. If we were that high, we'd both be dead, <laughs> um, as there was obviously no uh, pressurised cabin in the Cessna 152. So uh, I had to quickly um, re, re, uh, repeat what I'd said, but slightly change to, hello, yeah. Uh, Watersham Radar, Golf uh, Alpha Victor Hotel Mike, uh, at uh, 1,600 feet right. overhead. <laughs> um, so, that was, uh, so that was quite an interesting uh, conversation I had w- with uh, Watersham Radar. Yes, Matty Fab, I was at 16,000 feet. Yes, yes, no, you weren't at all. <laughs> but uh, we, yeah. we got there in the end. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I haven't flown for a few weeks, but um, it, it, you know, it went fairly. There's a few things that I missed, a few uh, faux pas I made. Mm. Um, um, one of them was forgetting to set my compass, my DI, um, when I was doing my checklist. Yeah. I got uh, severely kicked um, in the behind for that. <laughs> oh, no. Um, because that made me to go the wrong way, direction when I took off. Uh, Matty Fab will probably um, laugh at that, but yeah, I forgot to set my DI, um, compass with a DI. So, um, yeah, but anyway, we got there in the end. Yes. Um, I'd done my flight, and uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a considerably less well off in the bank account now <laughs> absolutely you got less money all of a sudden i know, I know. oh dear so you're joining us in for episode 87 mm. uh it is the 20th of november and it's just gone past quarter past six in the evening uh, we've got loads of people in the chat room and we've got uh oh phone's ringing matt we've got philip uh, philip davis matty fabs in the chat room masha gertz is in the chat room 
Rob Rusted's in the chat room. Um, Jonathan Warner, Mr. Warner's in the chat room. Neil Braden, Dan Hannington, anyone I've missed? Uh, I'm just scrolling up the list here. Um, yeah, Masha, Matty Fab, Philip Davis. We've got a few people in the chat room already, good. so that's good. Excellent. That's good. That's what we like to hear. So thank you for joining us in the chat room. Indeed. And uh, we've got loads of uh, new good news stories this week, and mm. along with a couple more interviews from the Malta International Air Show. And we've got some listener feedback from someone who is in the chat room. Excellent. Good. I know. It's great, isn't it? I know. I like I liked your feedback. So I suppose we really should kick things off. Then. I know. We're going to kick things off. Uh, so we're going to start the show then, as we do with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. I certainly am. And everyone in ready in the chat room? We'll just say they're ready. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's go. So, kicking off this week's first news story, then it's on the. Here we go. I'm going to get the right mouse here. That's helped. But it's on the Crawley News website. Good old Crawley, not far yes, from Gatwick there. Indeed. And the uh, headline, airline operating at Gatwick to cancel all flights uh, to and from Sharm el-Sheikh. Uh, so an airline which flies out of Gatwick has announced that it's cancelled all flights to Sharm el-Sheikh until December the 20th this year. Monarch Airlines has said that it will not be flying to or from the Egyptian resort following a statement from the Department of Transport, the DFT, today. Uh, the Department for Transport said the government expects all but 200 British holidaymakers to be back in the country by November the 17th, prompting Monarch to suspend flights after that date. Only flights returning from Sharm el-Sheikh uh, will operate until then, and a statement issued by the DFT advises that should customers choose to remain in Sharm el-Sheikh after November the 17th, they should make their alter own alternative arrangements for returning to the UK. Really? Uh, this may involve having to travel with an airline to which enhanced UK security measures, e.g. separate baggage uh, fla uh, flights, uh, do not apply. So travellers are advised uh, that they do so at their own risk. In a statement posted on their website, Monarch wrote that Monarch has made every effort to minimise the impact this will have to our customers, and although the cause of the disruption is beyond our control, we do apologise for any inconvenience. So passengers are advised to contact Monarch uh, Airlines for more information if they need to, and uh, they can contact them on 0333 uh, or you can email uh, uh, Monarch's customer relations uh, at uh, customer.relations at monarch.co.uk. Uh, customers who booked a package holiday should contact Monarch Holidays um, mm. on their number 0333 for more info. Right. So I mean, just go, I mean, obviously that's Monarch. Um, you've obviously got other other airlines that fly mm. to uh, to Sharm, uh, as in EasyJet. Yes, yeah, I mean, they do. Loads um, of so it'll be interesting to see if EasyJet can uh, follow mm. suit here. But you know, with the things as they are now, obviously they've um, they have found out that it was. A bomb. It was, yeah. Uh, that brought the aircraft down. So um, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's an ever-changing mm. uh, uh, type of uh, situation there in Sharm. Yeah, it's not, not a good, destination I shall be booking anytime soon. No, although again, it's one of those, isn't it? Because the problem isn't actually so much the resort in this occasion, is it? It's, it's mm. basically a lapse. But I think what what appears to be, if you read through, through between the lines, it suggests perhaps it was. A, you know, a, a security breach essentially yeah. at, at Sharm El Sheikh Airport, and it seems really mm. very unfair to sort of demonise the entire 
sort of you know area no it's a shame like. I they, mean, it has been troubled for a long time there's no two ways about it but, but they do rely heavily on the on the uh, tourism mat don't they for their economy mm. And it's is a shame because it's going to hit them very, very hard indeed. Mm. The uh, people in in Shamal Shay. Well, and they need the money. There's, mm. there's no two yeah. ways about that. Yeah. Isn't it? It's not a great time of the year for this to mm-hmm. happen, anyway. No. Anyway, right. Uh, on to the next story, and uh, this is on the EDP website. EDP twenty four. Norwich local airport. to us. And uh, EasyJet plane diverted to Norwich Airport after medical emergency. Now, I was asking the question, wasn't I? Well, you know, well, what size aircraft does it say? Anyway, an aeroplane carrying passengers from Amsterdam to Edinburgh had to be diverted to Norwich Airport on Saturday after one of the people on board needed medical treatment. The EasyJet flight, which uh, left the Dutch capital this morning at 9am, landed at Norwich Airport around about 11am after one of the passengers became ill. It is believed the passenger suffered an allergic reaction. Pilots alerted staff at Norwich Airport and requested an ambulance. A spokesperson for the airport confirmed the East of England ambulance sorry the East of England ambulance service treated a passenger. He said the passenger was able to continue the journey and the plane is on its way to Edinburgh. So it really was a very short stop um, at, uh, at Norwich. Now it doesn't say anything about what size aircraft it was. Um, it's probably an Airbus. I mean, it's EasyJet, so it's going to be uh, one of their smaller. Uh, Not going imagine... to be an A three nineteen or anything. Uh, yeah, it would have probably been yeah. A three A A three nineteen. Yeah, yeah, or it could have been an A three twenty. What they landed there. Um, so, so is 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 Norwich um is is Norwich big enough? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's big enough. That, I mean, they've had a lot bigger aircraft than that land at mm. Norwich. Um, I'm not sure the the largest, but you know, I know they've they've had obviously seven fives. We've talked about it before seven five seven two hundreds land in there with Thompsons. Um, and uh, I think they've had bigger in there, so you know it, it can handle that. And yeah. obviously, um, it was a medical emergency that they had to divert. Oh yeah, no, uh, we, which is great. That. But it's just as I say, I, I don't know. I, do, I just sort of assumed the reason why we didn't see bigger aircraft going in and out of there was was because of that. If you know what I mean, but just, it was because it wasn't big enough. Just making sure that, uh, that we've got some people still in the chat room. <laughs> I think we have. Matty Fabs just asked a question. Is anyone here? Yes. Oh, we're here. Yeah, um, we are, yes. Yeah, so hopefully everyone else is still in the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, uh, it's, uh, we, um, well, we had that story on our, on our Facebook page, actually. We had mm. that posted on there. So, um, yeah, everything worked out okay with that, yeah, and the flight the continued end, yeah. on. So That's fantastic. Next story. Yes. Is on. There we go. Travel Mall on the Travel Mall site. And the headline, Norwegian is granted a UK operating license. So Norwegian, a low-cost carrier from uh, Norway, mm. uh, has plans for the UK uh, to be at the heart of its long-haul expansion. Uh, it's planning for the UK to sort of be its kind of um, uh, go-from uh, kind of country uh, to their uh, long-haul uh, hubs and stuff, or long-haul mm. destinations, which we talked about before with Norwegian, because they fly the Streamliner. Uh, the low-cost airline, which is launching a UK subsidiary next year, uh, hopes to begin flights from Britain to Asia and South America and South Africa using its eight 787 uh, Dreamliners with a third of 30 on order. Uh, it already operates a direct service from the UK to US destinations, including Fort Lauderdale, New York and Los Angeles. Uh, the Britain, or the British mask, uh, market continues to uh, play a major role in Norwegian's growth, says Bjorn Kujos, Norwegian's uh, CEO. Uh, he told The Telegraph earlier this week, securing a UK operating licence is a great news and an important step to get a stronghold in the UK as we further our expansion plans. 
As Jir Nezith, managing director of Norwegian UK, added with nearly 4 million passengers in the UK over the last 12 months, passengers are voting with their feet for the quality, affordable travel uh, that they offer. We are changing the face of our low-cost travel by offering free onboard Wi-Fi. Ooh, free, the magic word. State-of-the-art new aircraft, as in the Dreamliners, and UK's only direct low-cost flights to America. Uh, with the door now unlocked for new routes and further growth, we're looking forward to offering UK passengers a range of exciting new destinations for the future. Mm -hmm. I'd really love to fly Norwegian. I mean, I've heard so many good things about Norwegian, and obviously the, with their new aircraft, they've got a lot of the Dreamliners and that mm. now. Um, it would be probably, you know, one of those airlines, if I was going to go across to the States, that I would probably, um, you know, look to book with them. Mm, being absolutely. A in fact, character. Dan Hannington has just said in the chat room here, uh, I flew with Norwegian to Stockholm. Great airline. Onboard Wi-Fi was terrific. Yeah. Oh, and good news, everyone. Mr. Rusted has returned. Oh, good. He's yeah. back from the shops. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Anyway, on to the next story. This is on the Bloomberg Business website. And the headline is Delta turns to partitions for feel of premium economy in coach. Uh, dividers will separate uh, prices domestic main cabin seats airline inches closer towards international rivals offering so Delta Airlines Inc uh, quest to add a dash of luxury and exclusivity to its prices economy seats will mean erecting some walls Ooh, indeed um, I'm so sorry I pressed the wrong button there <laughs> There we go. Once the U.S. government approves uh, Delta, it will install partitions to separate its extra legroom comfort plus section from the rest of the main cabin on domestic jets. Spokesman Anthony Black said on Monday, the first such divider will still be months away, though Delta is pushing up, uh, is putting up uh, similar panels for first class, Black said. The enclosures are among several changes Delta is making to persuade coach flyers to upgrade to Comfort Plus seats, which have uh, a few extra inches of space, and other perks, including priority boarding and dedicated overhead bins. Comfort Plus tickets will go on sale in May as a new fare class instead of as an option after buying a main cabin seat. It raises the bar and sets the ball in motion for another round of product evolution, airline consultant Samuel Engel has said. Uh, while a Comfort Plus fare can vary on May the 22nd, uh, a one-way Comfort Plus fare from Atlanta to Boston costs $49 more than a comparable main cabin seat, according to Delta's website. Oh. Moving forward is the next uh, header, and Delta is inching closer to the premium economy cabins found on foreign carriers, including British Airways and Virgin Atlantic, Engel said. While Delta's Comfort Plus seats offer more legroom, they're not as wide as those typically found in overseas rivals' premium economy cabins, Engel also said. On Virgin Atlantic, which is 49% owned by Delta, I did not know that. On Delta Atlantic, which is 49% owned by Delta, uh, the premium economy cabin is separate from regular coach and includes its own cabin crew, according to the airline. Delta's Comfort Plus will remain part of the economy cabin and share the same flight attendants, Black said. The goal, he said, is to create a separation between uh, people who have paid the higher Comfort Plus fare and the rest of the coach travellers, he said. The airline has been planning a divider between its extra legroom seats found at the front of coach and the rest of its main cabin since at least December. Uh, 
that's when Delta unveiled five fare classes spanning the highest service Delta One on international and transcontinental US routes to basic economy at the low end. Delta is still evaluating how the partitions would look and feel, and Black was unable to give details. Jets used on overseas flights might also get the panels, he said. Every aircraft type will require its own federal certification, Black also pointed out, which could push out the uh, the completion of the project to a couple of years. Engel, who works with consultant ICF International in Cambridge, Massachusetts, said that by adding partitions and upgrading the perks in Comfort Plus, Delta is packing packaging together items that many coach flyers like without incurring a business class fare. Wow, I'm just looking at you, Matt, online while you've been mm. doing that story yeah. on the uh, Delta's website, looking at the yeah. Comfort Plus. Mm. And, uh, I mean, the, the seats look awesome, look mm. really comfy. And, but narrower, uh, apparently. But they, they do look a lot more comfortable. The backs look definitely comfortable. But they, you get uh, a premium uh, entertainment system uh, from Delta Studio yeah. uh, with your own screen and obviously with the Wi-Fi. There's also uh, a free... Uh, enjoy a free wine, spirits, and regional regional craft beers on board, plus premium snacks. Um, you also get uh, Starbucks coffee uh, on every flight, mm-hmm. and a lot more legroom as well on uh, on the, on you know, on the premium Comfort Plus. Um, and they, uh, I'm just looking through here. Um, I can't show the pictures on screen, unfortunately, but I'm looking through on the pictures here. But uh, they do look really comfy, actually, the seats. Mm. But uh, definitely the way to travel. Uh, for those of you guys who are on the realms of the internet at the moment, if you look on, uh, on, you know, on Delta's website, you can look at the Delta Comfort Plus. Mm. Um, and it looks really nice. It looks uh, for, for an uh, economy yeah. uh, seat. It uh, is quite comparable with uh, the likes of Emirates and that, who, uh, who supply a really good economy um, product. Oh dear, it's all gone horribly wrong. <laughs> oh, uh, get rid of that. That's uh, There Hang we on. go. Yeah, one second. Oh, Sorry. We've lost the news feed. We have lost the news feed. Two seconds. <laughs> there we go. It's there. They're there. Look. Is it that yeah, one? Is it? it the one? Yeah, okay. There we go. Right, right, there we go. We're back on. <laughs> we are. I'll tidy that up in a minute. Obviously. Lost the news feed, yeah. just slightly. <laughs> what are you doing, honestly? I don't know. I'm pressing the wrong buttons. So, uh, so the next news story. I should um, just explain in the background. You can probably hear the rain. rain. It has just it's raining, raining here because yeah, we never get any rain ever. It's been it's been very dry of of late here in East Anglia. Not although I wouldn't say that the run we had to use the um, asphalt part of the runway this uh, today because the grass was rather wet. Oh, was it? Oh um, dear. And uh, on taxiing back onto the grass this afternoon, this Cessna did get rather bogged in. Did it? Um, and when it came to parking the aircraft in between two other aircraft, I let my instructor do it. Did you? That's yes. very that's very practical of you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you you complete and total wuss. I know. Yeah. <laughs> So on the uh, next story, on the Express website, and the headline, Passenger Tries to Open a Door on a British Airways Plane uh, Midway Through a UK to US Flight. So this is a story that was on the news uh, early this week, and uh, when when the story actually broke originally, uh, the media being... The media, the media yeah. uh, said that uh, the passenger tried to break down the cockpit flight door, the flight deck door, mm. which was later sort of just boo-booed. Well, yeah, indeed. Done, uh, done so, away with this. I know. Yeah. So a female passenger had to be restrained oh, good, um, good. as she tried to open an exit door on a British Airways plane flying <laughs> from Heathrow uh, to America. 
And uh, the Flight 213 was flying from London Heathrow's airport to Boston, Massachusetts, Mm. when the woman attempted to force the door open. A British Mm. Airways spokesman said the unruly woman tried to force one of the plane's exit doors open. Earlier, Massachusetts State Police said she had tried to break into the cockpit, but they had confirmed this was incorrect. (laughs) Fellow passengers and crew members had to restrain the woman who was uh, unequivocally drunk, according to a BA spokesperson. Splendid. The uh, aircraft landed safely uh, in the end at Boston's Logan International Airport at around 1.30 or 6.30 GMT, where state troopers took the passenger aged around 30 into custody. BA uh, uh, told uh, or said uh, by the crew that the uh, pl- uh, crew had asked actually the police to meet the flight uh, when they landed to assist with the removal of the passenger. And the spokeswoman said that uh, our customers and crew deserve to have a s- uh, safe and enjoyable flight and mm-hmm. we do not tolerate any abusive behaviour. Our crew requested that the police meet them at the, uh, at the flight uh, at Boston due to an unruly customer on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, the incident comes... So- so what's that? Sorry, that 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 graphic there. What is that? Just the route that it was. Yeah, taking? that's the route it took. Yeah, that's yeah, on, okay. uh, on flight radar twenty four. Hang on, hang on. Just bring that up. There a we second. go. So There's the route the aircraft yeah, took. Yeah, absolutely. So there we go. We can okay. see that there, as we can see. Ooh, uh, I go. see. Yeah, and then it diverted. Okay, cool. And so the uh, the incident comes among heightened fears over security following uh, six simultaneous attacks on on Paris on Friday last week. And uh, the FBI confirmed it was responding to the incident, uh, but Massachusetts police spokesman David Prosipio said there was no indication of any terrorism um, tied to her actions. Police said they were interviewing the suspect and other passengers, and the woman will most likely face charges. Good. Wow. (laughs) I can imagine the uh, passengers on board that aircraft pinned her down fairly well. I can imagine, yeah, absolutely. Although, as I say, in the chat room here, um, uh, Jonathan has just put, uh, I saw something the other day that showed the exit doors can't actually be opened in flight due to wind flow and and doors opening towards the common The common misconception people have uh, with with commercial passenger aircraft that are are pressurised is that you can walk up to a door whilst flying and open it. Um, Unfortunately, that that's not going to happen unless you are Incredible mm. Hulk. Yeah, um, indeed, yeah. Because aircraft doors, if you've probably noticed, open inwards. Yes. And they form, when they shut, they form a plug. Yeah. And they Literally, plug against, they got, they, when they shut, they, they call it a plug, plug door, Yes, they? Yeah. and they are plugged against the fuselage. Mm. And you cannot, when the aircraft is pressurised, yep. open that door. Right. Because of the pressure difference between the outside of the aircraft right. and the inside. So Gosh. you're not going to open that door. No. Regardless, unless, you know, unless, unless you are on the ground or something. Yes, yeah. um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it was never going to kind of be a, no, a, a safety kind but of thing. It's, it's, just, it's, it's just somebody spoiling everyone else's fun. Everybody's really nervous at the moment, given, obviously, yeah. you know, attacks in Paris and that kind of thing. Everybody's really just not very happy at the moment, are oh, they? No. It's just, uh, it's, it, what a very, very stupid thing for someone to do. And well, I really, it, I hope they drunk. throw the book at yeah. I know, it, it, yeah. it's drunk again. Yeah, yeah another mm. reason for them to maybe not offer alcohol on the flight. But again, it's, mm. it, I get really annoyed because it's like the minority spoiling it for the majority again, you know. But there we are. Anyway, but the, the, the trouble is, Matt, like we just said on, on that Delta Plus Comfort um, mm. um, seat, the, the the alcohol and stuff, the the booze is free. Mm. You know, you only you've only got to ask for a scotch on the rocks, and it's yours. Wow. You know, it, and, and people do tend to get a bit 
take advantage of that exciting yeah. it's a bit like when you're in a hotel mat and you and you've got uh, complimentary um shower gel and shower cap and um and bath uh, well, hair, yeah, I, hair, I, I, hair I take shower. them home yeah you <laughs> take them home i know <laughs> oh dear, anyway on to the next, next story. story this is on the travel weekly website and the headline is ba is least fuel efficient airline on transatlantic routes british airways is the least fuel efficient airline uh, on transatlantic routes, new research has claimed BA was found to emit more pollution over the Atlantic than any other airline, burning more than 50% more fuel than Norwegian, identified as the greenest carrier with its fleet of new Boeing 787 Dreamliners. The study by Sustainable Transport Group, the International Council on Clean Transportation, found that BA came out uh, last of the top 20 airlines operating the North Atlantic routes. The UK carrier um, flew uh, 27 kilometres per litre of fuel against Norwegian at 40 kilometres per litre. That's a huge difference, isn't it? Uh, the industry average is 32 kilometres per litre, achieved by Delta Airlines and Iceland Air. Uh, BA is among the many premium carriers that fall below the industry standard, including SAS, Lufthansa, Swiss, Virgin Atlantic, United Airlines, uh, Ali, Ali, Alitalia, 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 Alitalia yeah. uh, American Airlines and Iberia, the study found. Air Berlin and Aer Lingus follow low-cost carrier Norwegian as the most fuel-efficient. A non-stop return transatlantic flight last year averaged about one tonne of CO2 per passenger, equivalent to a 35-kilometre daily commute in a Toyota Prius <laughs> over a work year. Uh, according to research, the failure um, of highly profitable carriers to invest in more fuel-efficient aircraft on one of the most lucrative routes in the world is a clear sign that efficiency standards and carbon pricing are needed, the International Council on Clean Transportation said. Aviation Policy Director Andrew Murphy said if we can't get higher profitability airlines on the most lucrative route in the world to improve their fuel efficiency, then how can you expect it to happen elsewhere? Efficiency standards and carbon pricing are needed if aviation is to play its role in keeping global warming below 2 degrees. BA said its performance was improving with the delivery of new more fuel-efficient aircraft, the Times reported. And that is, as I say, on the Travel Leak Weekly website. It's, uh, it's a good point, though, isn't it, really, in the fact that if they won't... Um if, if they're not going to uh, be more fuel-efficient, then um, you've really got no hope in hell of, uh, of uh, other carriers doing it. I should apologise. I am smiling Sorry. because Carl is taking a photo of me. I if, to get a photo As if him. loads of cameras around me wasn't torture enough. He's got his oh, mobile yeah. phone out taking pictures. Uh, uh, Jonathan Warner says, BA still have a lot of fairly old 400 series planes, um, uh, 747s that, that do all the transatlantic routes. And um, it's... Uh, yeah, we might say. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. And Matty Fabs also said, I reckon with all these uh, bomb threats and planes having to divert and cancel flights, we might see some airlines actually going bankrupt. It could well happen. I mean, after 9 11, yeah. there was a lot of airlines that, mm. uh, that didn't survive that. Have you know. finished now? Have yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, just going back to the alcohol story, yes. Masha has put in a chat room mm. that uh, she wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, all uh, alcohol serving in flight uh, would stop because mm. uh, of the cost of dealing with un unruly drunk passengers. Yes, because presumably, uh, presumably the airlines are charged if... Well, I don't know. I no, don't know. well, because well, when they have to divert, obviously um, the cost of um, fuel yeah. 
uh, you know, offloading oh, the passenger, see, yes, and, course, and all yeah. the stuff, the landing fees. You've yeah. got, you know, you've got mm-hmm. to pay a landing yeah, fee absolutely. to land yeah. at an Even an if it's an emergency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, really? this, yeah. And um, it's just, I mean, it caught, I've, I, I, there was a, a report out once, uh, I can't remember what the figure was, of how much a, a normal, just a standard diversion costs um, in Europe, but it, it's not cheap. No, well, I, I don't doubt that um, for a minute. It, it's, a, it's a very good family-sized vehicle, mm. brand new, yeah. <laughs> I think it costs, yeah, so it's not cheap at all. Mm. Um, but hello to everyone in the chat room, by the way, uh, who's in there still. Thank mm. you. Thank you for joining us again tonight. Yeah. Uh, so next story on the... Well, this is an interesting website. The, the Moody Report. I see. The MoodyReport.com <laughs> website. Okay, this one. good. Yes. And the headline, uh, Gatwick Airport handles a record 40 million passengers a year. Um, I actually read something um, online not so long back, Matt, that, that, uh, that they've said that Gatwick is literally... At its maximum capacity really? now, it's at peak. For peak, yeah, it, is, really? is, it can't handle much more, if any. Uh, so, Gatwick Airport has announced uh, this week that it broke the forty million passengers a year mark wow. um, last weekend. Yeah, is it one runway? At, at yes, Gatwick? yeah, yeah. Well, there is another runway, but they don't don't use. It's a shorter oh. runway, but they don't use it. Uh, right. yeah. Yeah, I see. Uh, Ten years ahead of uh, the airport commission's forecast. The airport, which is rapidly approaching full capacity, has achieved 32 months of consecutive growth with 3.6 million passengers travelling through it in October. It's uh, a 7.8% increase uh, compared with the same month last year. In October, passengers travelling on European and North Atlantic routes were up by 9.7% and 8.5% respectively. Wow. Strong growth uh, locations in Europe include Madrid, uh, Rome, Venice, Barcelona, and also routes to New York and L.A. recorded a rise of 111.6% and 87.9% respectively. So Gatwick Airport CEO Stuart Wingate said that to reach 40 million passengers a year is a tremendous achievement and it sets a global benchmark for single runway airport. We have grown rapidly under the new ownership and benefits of a com- uh, competition are clear for passengers. More choice, higher standards and lower fares um, will mean that uh, the airport will grow, continue to grow. Well, not too much, I hope. There's not a lot of room left. That's why Gatwick needs a second runway. So, is it not just as straightforward that they could just make it longer? That the other no, runway they've got no. make it. You know, can they not that, adapt that? So they, that, that wouldn't ch- make a much difference. That they need, they need two runways really, Matt. So they can have one for taking off and one for landing. Right. Uh, which in the states, um, a lot of um, San Francisco uh, airport has. I think I've got it off the top of my head. It has. I think it has four or five or six. Perhaps someone in the chat room would know this. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's at least four or five runways that San Francisco has running at any one time and, yeah, and yeah, flights yeah. landing and taking off. And, you know, how efficient that must be mm. for them to be able to get aircraft in and out at the same time. Wow. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we can't do that in, at Gatwick. No. Um, <laughs> but I do like Gatwick Airport, I have yeah. to say. I don't know. The, the terminal's a bit tired. Uh, certainly the south yeah, terminal, some of it which is, is where I, yeah. I, I must admit I've not actually gone to, I've not actually been to the north terminal, but uh, certainly quite large parts of the south terminal are, are very tired. Can, is it is it Gatwick or Heathrow that has that um, stainless steel um, nose cone type thing with the water cascading down? Oh, I don't know. As a cent, as a, as a, I don't, I don't think a big it's, stainless don't think steel Gatwick. No, it must be Heathrow. Mm. I, I must admit I, I've only ever been into Heathrow terminal once. Uh, the rest of the time, I, I've just been dropping off outside. I haven't actually been. Philip, Philip Davis has just put in the chat room that the runways at Gatwick, because it has two, mm. uh, are yeah. too close together 
to uh, allow parallel operation. I see, right. Okay. And also, Dan Hannington yes. has put that he used to work at Gatwick. Ooh, wow, Dan, right. he used to work at Gatwick. Not as a marshal or something like that. That'd be quite good. We won't kill. Absolutely. Anyway, next on story. to the next story. Yes, this is on the Manchester Evening News. And the headline is Airbus Beluga. Uh, is it Beluga? Airbus Beluga, provided, Beluga provides rare treat for aviation enthusiasts at Manchester Airport. Uh, Storm Barney hit the northwest last You've done it to me again, sorry. haven't you? <laughs> Leave the mouse alone. I'm sorry. Uh, Storm Barney hit the northwest last night, which meant that the Airbus Beluga couldn't land at its... Uh, it's a, how, is it at its... Um, Hawarden? Hawarden Airport Hawarden Base. Airport Base near Chester. Oh, that's quite cool. Um, the giant dolphin of the skies took off from Manchester Airport. <laughs> An incredibly rare sighting for aviation enthusiasts. The Airbus Beluga's brief overnight stay followed its diversion after taking off from Hamburg on Tuesday. Storm Barney has, has, had hit Chester at, uh, and the wind made its landing at the Airbus factory in Hawarden. Virtually impossible, but Chester's loss was Manchester's gain as the bizarre-looking plane caused a real stir at Manchester as it landed around about 6.15pm on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, spotters were back out in force to catch the 2.50pm departure. A super transporter is a plane modified to carry aircraft parts and oversized cargo. Uh, Anthony Cassidy, MCR uh, at Smarty Ant, tweeted, I've just seen the Beluga aircraft at Manchester Airport. Very, very impressive. Yvonne Greenaway, um, uh, Sonic Star uh, 817, that's their Twitter, hand, Twitter handle, added, If you are spotting at Manchester Airport, look out for the Airbus Beluga that diverted last night. Should depart here at 2.15pm today. Now, I'm just going to put this picture up because it is... It I looks... Uh, the, on, the only way I can describe it is it really does look like like something out of Thunderbirds. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Can you, can you see what I mean? Let me put that up there. It there does. It looks like leader. something. It looks like something out of Thunderbirds. I, I think it might be the tail fin on the end there and the word number five. Yeah, I know. Or the number, number, the number five. I'm literally thinking five, four. four you know? <laughs> it's just like just a wow. bit of info yeah. uh, on the Beluga. Now, mm. the uh, some of you, most of you in the chat room will probably know this because you're all have geeks like like, uh, yeah, like more so are. than me. Like, really, so they, they should be sitting here, not me. To be fair, uh, but the uh, the Beluga is uh, is actually a A three hundred dash six hundred aircraft. Um, it's uh, it's a, it's based on the standard version of the A three hundred six hundred, modified quite heavily, as you can probably see, um, to carry aircraft parts, and uh, the uh, Beluga XL. Mm. Um, is uh, due to be phased out uh, and replaced in around 2020 by uh, a new um, aircraft uh, that's been designed for, to do the job, to carry aircraft parts around mm. the world. But uh, the Beluga is uh, powered uh, by two General Electric CF680C2 uh, turbofans yeah. and um, has a massive cargo compartment. The uh, cargo compartment on the, the Beluga is uh, 23 feet 4 inches wide. Wow, that's insane. Which is, uh, which is quite, which quite wide. <laughs> that's crazy. Um, <laughs> it uh, can carry a 40-ton payload. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's got, uh, it, it's, well, it's, it's an amazing aircraft. It has the, the actual front mat. If you look at the uh, front of the aircraft mm. um, on the picture there, yeah. which we were looking at before, yeah. uh, on the, the bit of the, the, you see where the, uh, the uh, flight deck is here? Yeah. 
Well, this part above of the flight deck here yeah. hinges we, we, up. We, can, we can't see oh, the mouse pointer the mouse. on the thing yet, so but, uh, describe that, it. Yeah, but the, the, the uh, section above the uh, cockpit there can actually tilt upwards. Uh, really? Lift upwards, yeah, the edge above, above, and they can the, uh, the load The dome in. at the front yeah, can lift yeah. up. That lifts up, and then the aircraft parts are slid right. in on rails. So if you look at the photo, you can actually see the cockpit, can't you, where it is, you can just see the windows of the cockpit there right at the very nose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but uh, these bits at the back on the tail... Yes. Uh, they're there, obviously extended yes. with those uh, the ends on where the fibres. Yeah, yeah. And they are to give it extra stability, obviously, right. because okay. it's, um, it's carrying it, oversized. Lo- yeah, it's, it's, it's not the most aerodynamic shape. aircraft <laughs> yeah. in the it's world. It's an odd shape, <laughs> it has to be said. Uh, <laughs> so moving on to the next story. Indeed, uh, yes. On the Travel Mole site again, this mm-hmm. one. And um, an airline that, that we know about here, Monarch Airlines, uh-huh. uh, is eyeing new routes for next year. So Monarch is uh, looking to launch at least one new route next year and will add flights to existing destinations from UK bases. Chief Commercial Officer Adrian Tigg said the airline was considering several options depending on what happens with Sharm el-Sheikh. Wow. He said the airline would restart the, they're going to restart flights to the Red Sea Resort within two weeks of getting the go-ahead from the British government, but he admitted that the longer the flights remain suspended, the longer it will take to uh, rebuild consumer confidence in the destination. Uh, we probably won't fly our full scheduled service to uh, Sharm straight away, he said. Uh, the customers will have gone elsewhere initially, so we need to rebuild business. Uh, Tiggy said that the flights to the resort of Iliat, which uh, Monarch is offering as an alternative winter beach destination to Sharm, were especially busy over Christmas. <laughs> uh, some customers who planned to travel to Sharm this winter had decided on a ski trip instead. As you do. <laughs> uh, but many have postponed their uh, trips with Monarch uh, until the Red Sea Resort uh, opens again and uh, normal you know, service resumes. Service resumes yeah. Um, he said the airline will uh, initially offer a reduced schedule depending on uh, consumer demand, and it had already planned to offer 14 to 17 flights a week to Sharm mm. this winter. Um, obviously, it's uh, it, you know, it, like I said, with with Charm and the situation now at the moment, airlines mm. are having to re rejig what they yeah. do and yeah. where they do it and stuff Absolutely. like that. Yeah. Um, and Monarch is obviously doing this and offering another destination um, for its customers, which is which is great. You well, know. I think they've got to, haven't they? Mm. Mm. Well, I think it's good. at the end of the day, after everything that's happened here, we have to, yeah. you know, take our hats off to to a lot of the airlines, you know, EasyJet, yeah. Monarch, and that who and Thompson as well, who've, who've, you know, they have. This is not planned. You yeah. know, they had to pull off some pretty major yeah. um, stuff to get people in and out and stuff out of mm. uh, Sharm, and they and they've they've achieved it. I think you know, yeah, with what's happened. So. So there yeah. we go. Next yeah. story. Yeah, on to the uh, next story, and this is on the Travel Weekly website, and the headline is um, Jet2 owner hails exceptional summer as profits soar. Ooh. The owner of Jet2.com and Jet2 Holidays saw half-year profits soar thanks to an exceptional summer season. Dart Group recorded a pre-tax profit up 66% to 100... That's a huge jump, isn't it? 66% wow. to £146.8 million in the six months to September 30th as revenue rose by 14% to more than £1 billion. Pounds. The group's travel interests contributed revenue growth of 15% to £951.7 million as Jet2 holidays carried 22% more holidaymakers and 940,000 uh, at 940,000 um, or 
um, 42% of overall flown passengers. Uh, flight only numbers declined to 2.65 million from 3.07 million in the same period in 2014. Jet2.com flew at uh, flew 4.53 million passengers down 2% year on year against a backdrop of careful seat capacity management as the fleet grew by more by four aircraft to 59 for the summer according to the company. However, a record load factor of 94.1% was achieved together with a 16% rise in Jet2.com's uh, average net ticket yield, helped by increased flying to eastern Mediterranean sun destinations. Winter bookings are continuing to perform in line with expectations ahead of the peak post-Christmas booking period. Chairman Philip Meeson said that the company was optimistic that the current market expectations for the full year will be achieved after what has proven to be an exceptional summer season. I haven't, I, like I said before, I haven't flown with Jet 2, but they're, no. they're getting to be quite a popular airline, that yeah. Jet 2. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Everybody seems to... Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, they're based in Manchester, so it's a bit out of our reach yeah. uh, to fly with them. But, you know, Manchester's a big part of the UK, and there's a lot of mm. passengers flying Ooh, yeah. from there. Absolutely. Um, and, and they're talking sort of similar load factors to not quite, la you know, with Ryanair or anyone like that. But mm. uh, I bet if you did it per per head for the airport, you know, for Manchester Airport or wherever, it, you know, I presume it's Manchester they're based out. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if they did it by per head load factor, I bet, I bet those would be some impressive figures, actually, if you compared it, say, to EasyJet or Ryanair. Their actual headquarters, Matt, mm. is Leeds Branford. Yeah. Uh, that's Jet 2's headquarters. Gosh. Uh, but they've got bases pretty much across mm. the UK, Belfast, East Midlands, Edinburgh, Glasgow, um, Manchester and Newcastle. Um, but uh, their parent company is Dark Group PLC, as you said earlier, um, with a the slogan they've got is Friendly Low Fares. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm just looking at their current fleet, uh, Jet 2, and they've yeah. got... Um, They've got 22 Boeing 737-300 still in service, which are quite old aircraft now. Wow. Uh, they've got some 800 series 7.3s, which Ryanair use. They've got 17 of those. Yeah. Um, and they've also got uh, 11 uh, 757-200s. How cool is that? Um, which, uh, which they fly, which mm. are quite old aircraft as well. But um, no, their passenger numbers have definitely increased in the last 10 years, looking at them here, which is, uh, which is brilliant. Good news. Impressive stuff. Moving on to the next story, and this one on Flight Global's website, and uh, this is a picture one, so when I've finished reading it, Matt's going to yes, show us okay, show us a picture, right. yes, I can do and uh, this is a story that uh, I, I heard earlier this week, because uh, it was on uh, Grant's, Grant McCarran's, uh, on his Facebook page, and uh, the headline, Qantas debuts the Retro Roo 2 livery. Get you. So Qantas has rev uh, revived the livery that mm. uh, adorned its Boeing 707s between 1959 and 1961 on a 737-800 named Retro Roo 2. Yeah. Registered uh, aircraft uh, Victor Hotel Victor X-Ray Quebec, the new old livery was revealed at an event in Sydney as part of the airline's 95th anniversary celebrations. As we celebrate our 95th birthday today, I hope this livery inspires a sense of pride in what our national airline has achieved during those years of talking to us, uh, taking Australians around the world and bringing them safely home again, says the Qantas Group Chief Executive Alan Joyce. The 737 was repainted in Townsville following an interior reconfiguration work at uh, Qantas's Brisbane Maintenance Facility. It's the second aircraft in the 737 fleet to wear the vintage or Qantas colours. 
Uh, in November 2014, the airline revealed a retro-winged kangaroo scheme on uh, Victor Hotel X-Ray Zulu Papa, which was named James Strong in honour of the airline's late former chief executive. Now, if Matt can pop that on the screen there, yeah, the guys certainly. in the chat room will be able yeah. to see uh, this aircraft with the uh, retro paint job there. Mm-hmm. It's got a real 80s feel about it, hasn't it? Yeah, um, John Travolta... Yeah. Who you obviously <laughs> yes, know. Yeah, I've heard of him. Yes. Uh, John Travolta's got uh, one of uh, a seven oh seven, really, uh, with this with that job. Yeah, really? with it, yeah, yeah. Even yeah. with well, not not with Qantas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He's um, <laughs> he, I, I forget. I think he's one of their kind of. Um, uh, what they call them? He, he, he's not. He doesn't own the company, but he's one no, of their um, no, sort of uh, subsidiary sponsor. No, sponsors. one of their kind of. People over there, um, I forget what they call them now. I'm totally lost now. Great, great, but, great. Well done. But he's a, yeah. an, uh, oh, and oh god, I forget what it is now. But he's he, he's a, con- a Qantas lover anyway. Someone in the chat right. probably okay. yes. don't know what it is. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, they're going to um, abuse you something. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help noticing that on that on that picture, Matt. The uh, yep. r- the thrust reverse doors are open on that aircraft. Look, so that aircraft's obviously just landed. Right. And okay. The uh, thrust reverses are open on the engine. Just touched down. Yes, just touched down. So there we go. So good news for Qantas. A lot of airlines are doing this. Yes. Having retro yes, it was old American, school. American Airlines, yeah, wasn't it? And they were bringing back some of the livery um, from different... Um, yeah, from ages. From, from, from di- and, and some of their airlines that, mm. they, that, they, yes. that they've sort of yes. absorbed, wasn't yeah. it? I think we yeah. covered it a few yeah. weeks back now, didn't we? Yeah. Um, but a lot of airlines have done this around Europe mm. now as well, put uh, the old school um, liveries on, which is, is really good. I love ah. it. I think it's really good. Uh, ambassadors ambassador uh, there we go oh. yeah absolutely who was that, who that, was, that? Was, that was Matty Fab uh, it said uh, Dan Haddington oh god really my phone keeps ringing off I'm so sorry I don't know quite why it's doing that um, and it is on silent which is which is even, bizarre which is really bizarre anyway um, but uh, Dan Haddington was saying he saw uh, John, uh, Travolta's um, 707 at LAX oh god do you know what Dan he's a he's a he's a expert photographer I know he's worked at Gatwick mm-hmm and he's he's seen Travolta's seven oh seven. Absolutely, definitely. I mean, what else is? I mean, is Dan hiding anything else? I mean, has he got his yeah. PPL already? Uh, any, any nasty surprises <laughs> waiting for him just to upset him? Anyway, while while uh, Carl goes and have a little cry in the corner, <laughs> we'll go on to the next story. And uh, this is on Flight Global, and the headline is EasyJet taking another thirty six jets, including thirty A three twenty Neos. UK budget carrier EasyJet uh, is exercising rights to take another thirty Airbus A three twenty Neo jets as well as six regular A320s to achieve an early expansion in capacity. The carrier disclosed the agreement with Airbus as it released its full-year financial results. EasyJet say the aircraft will be delivered between 2018 and 2021. They will all be fitted with the higher-density 186-seat configuration. The carrier is taking another 30 purchase rights on A320neos to replace those being exercised, it states. These aircraft will offer increased flexibility in fleet planning, including the faster replacement of some of our A319 uh, aircraft. It says, I'll be sorry to see those go. I love their little A319s. I think they're great aircraft. Mm. Uh, EasyJet adds that they will generate lower overall unit costs and ensure that the airline can continue to grow past 2019. The carrier puts the cost savings at £27 million, or that's $41 million. It says the agreement with Airbus was reached on the 16th of November and puts the value of the aircraft at catalogue prices to be 
billion. CFM International will supply the engines, Leap 1As and CFM 56s for all 36 jets. The 30 uh, A320neos being firmed are part of a broader agreement reached in 2013. EasyJet says the additional six jets are baseline A320s uh, which, have, uh, which are being added to its agreement. The EasyJet uh, says it has been robust, it has seen robust trading and its decision to expand the fleet is a result of um, confidence uh, both in demand uh, environment and our structural growth opportunities. It revealed the deal as it turned in a full year pre-tax profit rise of 18% to $686 million on a 3.5% increase in revenues. The airline's revenues totaled almost £4.7 billion for the year to 30th of September as passenger numbers climbed by 6% to 68.6 million passengers. That's a really ridiculous number. It benefited from currency exchange movements and lower fuel costs with its cost per seat declining by 3.4% during the year. EasyJet says it raised capacity by 5% but is planning to increase the level uh, next year by 7%. I was just looking on um, EasyJet's website, Matt, Mm. and... um, in the last 15 years, every single year, their uh, passengers flown has, has jumped. It's gone up really? every year without, without every question. Year. Their load factors have gone up every year. Uh, and as, as their turnover has as well. Mm. Um, you know, it's I'm not surprised. Every year, they're, you know, they're, um, they're, they're it, getting better. But it, it's basically low-cost low carriers across the board, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't mm. matter whether it's Ryanair, whether it's Jet2, whether it's EasyJet. I mean, it's the load factors. I mean, the big boys need to learn something from, from this, I think, don't they? And with their headquarters yeah. being... At, uh, at your favourite, yeah, yes, at Luton. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. But, uh, no, I, I, I enjoy it. I, I love uh, EasyJet. I think they're a fantastic airline to fly. I've never had any, um, any issues no, with uh, EasyJet no, at all. No. Um, not at all. Really good. But uh, that is where we are going to bring the uh, commercial news side of the show to a close. We've got uh, some military news. Yeah. And we've also got uh, some listener feedback yes. from someone who's in the chat yeah. room. And we've got, some and we've got a couple well. of interviews from the Malta Air Show as well to play you. Two more of those. And, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to uh, go away for a quick tea break. Yes. Because uh, Matt's parched. Indeed. He needs, yes. he needs, his, uh, <laughs> he needs his tea. So we are going to come back to you after these messages. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. Thevoicesinyourhead.com The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks Thanks for for listening. listening aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines 
Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket, anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> I swear they get lower every week. You know? I know. These low-flying aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> so we're back. We well, are. Uh, yeah, I know we're back. And we are. Um, uh, we're going to go, uh, go with some military news. We are, We're just, yes. looking, just looking in the chat room to see what's going on. Yes. Um, Matty Fab wants to go flying, but the forecast for the weekend is not very good. They are threatening actual physical snow, aren't they? They're I actually saw, I saw threatening sleep. snow. No, I've seen, I've, no, seen the wo- okay. I've seen the word snow. I read it out just beforehand. Snow. My friend, my friend uh, Dan... Um, who was saying that uh, there is a forecast possibly for snow over the weekend. Whether it will stay or not, I don't know. But, uh, hmm, no. we mustn't grumble too mustn't much. Grumble it's, too been much very, it's been it's very It's going to be cold anyway. It is going to be, I, yes, I'd imagine yeah. I'll get home this evening and my wife would have put the heating on. Good girl. Absolutely. Maybe even open the wine. No, no but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what. <laughs> since I moved early yes. this year, as Matt knows, yes, yes, um, yes. one thing I will miss this year is an open fire. Ah, oh, yes, the old mm. log fire. Oh, yeah, that, that was something. I will miss that this That's year. That's the one thing, because we used to live sort of um, uh, place place where mum used to live, and it just had the tiniest fireplace. Oh, um, so but it was just a couple of logs and stuff, and that's one of the the thing. About the only thing really miss about that that mm. house is the is that little open fireplace. Fire. Yeah, absolutely. So anyone in the chat room who has a ho- an open fire mm. or a wood burner or a log mm. burner, I'm jealous. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Matty Fab saying we've seen sleet earlier here. Oh, well, Matt Matty Fab is a bit further up uh, north, see. isn't he? Yeah. Well, fingers crossed you do get to go flying over the weekend. Yes, you? fingers crossed, yeah, mate. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Build up those hours solo. Uh, Mr. Warner's saying fly down to the south uh, west. It's clear, sunny, and cold this weekend. Oh, Ooh, there we are. <laughs> right, so we're going to uh, kick off in with some military news. Are, so yes. if you're ready, Matt. I certainly am. Uh, let's go. Let's go. He says, ha-ha, I'm on a grass one way, so it might be closed if it's raining. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, you, I, had, you had a similar problem, didn't you? Today? Yes, we did, yeah. yeah. It, honestly, if you, if, I should have took some photos today. Yeah. The grass runway uh, part at uh, the club where I fly was, yeah. was kind of, it was lovely grass with tracks 
of where the aircraft, because a parachute plane's been operating today. Of course, yeah. Absolutely. And um, he's been obviously taking off landing, taking off landing, taking off landing. And <laughs> even though he's been taking off on the uh, on the concrete part of the runway, yeah. he's been taxiing on the grass. On the grass, yeah. And uh, so I, I took off today in my little Cessna mm. uh, using the tracks that, that the steward yeah, put with his, uh, with his parachute yeah. aircraft, yeah. <laughs> So uh, let's yep. move on with some military news. Yes, yeah, the um, first story. first story is on the Flight Global site, and uh, headline, Hermes 900 reaches full operational status for Israel. Mm. So the Elbit Systems Hermes 900 UAV has become fully operational with the Israeli Air Force. Named the Kochav Star, the design performed hundreds of operational missions during last year's Protective Edge campaign over the Gaza Strip, but was subsequently grounded as work continued to fully integrate it into the service's infantry. Initial operations were made with aircraft maintenance performed, uh, performed by Elbit personnel with the company's employees who present in ground control stations where they uh, work alongside Air Force operators. A medium-altitude, long-endurance air vehicle, Hermes, uh, the Hermes 900, can be flown carrying a wide variety of sensors, including those derived from Elbit technologies previously introduced on manned aircraft and ground systems. Elbit was last year awarded a contract by the Brazilian Air Force for the supply of a Hermes 900 UAV, and Switzerland also has selected a type. Now, if Matt can pop that one on the screen there, you'll see, be able to see uh, see this Hermes 900 UAV, quite a big UAV actually. It is. Isn't it? It's not, it's not small by any. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an ways. aircraft, isn't it? it, it it's is, a, it's it is still not in it. It's, yeah. you know, it is a UAV, but um, yeah, it, 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 I always look at these when you see UAVs and that. Mm. Not just this, but the Reapers and stuff yeah. like that. And um, you just kind of look and you think, Where, where's the cockpit windows? I know. Like that. I know, I know it's, it's a so UAV. Bizarre, isn't it? I know yeah. there's no one in there. But you kind of expect there to be some sort of window at the front there. But you kind yeah. of, I don't know, you'd, you'd almost think that they might have the option where, where if you are flying around, you could have a passenger. Mm. You know, I mean, surely but also, like also, it's got a retractable undercarriage as well uh, under here. Mm -hmm. And if you look just where these front undercarriages, Matt, yeah. there is a little, see the little um, dome hanging underneath there? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's the sort of the, the high-vision the high camera, like oh, the cool. uh, ultra-high-definition yeah, camera, to, which yeah. they can use to so see So there is still a pilot involved, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. still a pilot, you know, in the ground station flying these, flying these aircraft yeah. on the UAVs. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, fantastic bit of kit, that one. Yeah, uh, I expect it's out of our... our Price uh, range, uh, anyway. Yes, I, I won't be getting one for Christmas. No, you certainly. Won't. No, <laughs> you've had your Christmas present, Matt. <laughs> oh, have I? Oh, it's in it? the front room. Sorry, I've got a new teddy, ladies and gentlemen. That's what he's on about. Uh, anyway, it is. I've uh, actually brought you another present today. Have you? Yeah. Anyway, carry on. You. <laughs> Only a little one. It's a stocking filler. Excellent. Okay. What are you like? Uh, yeah, so, right. So, uh, anyway, uh, Flight Global is the uh, headline. Uh, not the headline. That is the website. And the headline is, Japan orders first E2D advanced Hawkeye AEW aircraft. What's an AEW? Early warning system. Oh, aircraft. I see. Right. Okay, cool. Japan has ordered its first Northrop Grumman E2D advanced Hawkeye Airborne airborne early warning and control system aircraft through a foreign military sale valued at $151 million. Announced on the 12th of November, the order for Japan will fit into U.S. Navy's 25 aircraft, $3.6 billion multi-year contract for the E-2D that was signed in June 2019. 
2014. The Japanese deal is contracted by the US Naval Air Systems Command and is due to be complete by 2018. In June, the US Defense Security Cooperation Agency, the DSCA, uh, noted, uh, notified Congress of the approved uh, potential sale of four E-2Ds under a $1.7 billion deal. But Japan only allocated funding for one of the type in its January defence budget announcement. Tokyo requested a total of four aircraft, ten engines, eight installed plus two spares, and four Lockheed Martin APY-9 radars, and associated spare parts, logistics and support. The proposed sale of the E-2D AHE Advanced Hawkeye aircraft will improve Japan's ability to effectively provide homeland defense utilizing an AEW and C capability, the DSCA said at the time. Japan will use the E-2D AHE aircraft to provide AEW and C situational awareness of air and naval activity in the Pacific region and to augment its existing E-2C Hawkeye AEW and C fleet. The, the Japan Air Self-Defense uh, Force has 13 E-2Cs in service, which range between 22 and 34 years in age. Flight Global's Fleet Analyzer database shows uh, the, the USN has 18 E-2Ds in service, with 33 more on back order. Sorry, just chatting to Matty Fab in the chat. Right. <laughs> okay, good. The Northrop Grumman E2, then, this one, Matt. Yes. The Hawkeye. Yeah. Uh, early warning surveillance aircraft. If Matt will put that on the screen yeah, there. I will. So we can, yeah, there we there go. There we go. Yeah, we'll put that And there. Uh, this one is uh, originated from the uh, US. It's a bizarre thing. So it's a prop aircraft. Yeah, yeah, a prop aircraft. It's uh, got the early warning sort of radar on top there. Yeah, like, and a that's bit the like, big, the flat yeah. disc on the top. Yeah, yeah it's a bit like the, uh, the AWACS has here in the right. UK with that. Mm -hmm. um, that but these were uh, started being produced in, in 1960, Matt. Gosh. These are quite uh, They've been an about old aircraft. For a long yeah. time, yeah. Uh, first flew in 1960 in October and okay. introduced into service in 1964. Right. Uh, you can buy one of these, uh, a flyaway price, yes. uh, for $176 million. <laughs> Cheaper half the price. I'll order mm. two. <laughs> uh, there's a variant of this. It's called the Grumman C2 Greyhound. Right. Uh, which is a variant of that uh, particular um, aircraft, but no, it's uh, it's a great bit of kit to be mm. fair, and it's uh, it's also had a few changes to this over the years mm. um, with uh, the you know, actual uh, air, the engines itself that power the aircraft. Mm. Um, but it's no, it's a really great bit of kit. We've um, we need something like this in the UK for our um, I think our services here in the UK mm. could do with something that because uh, yeah. this is a carrier one. This is, these can also fly off a carrier mat, which is oh uh, I see. Oh, sorry, cool. I thought you said they were carriers. It's like how on earth would you get any no, these, these are great. good things? Yeah, it's um, yeah, I, I'm amazed like with the domes and stuff. I mean, they make uh, the the aerodynamics on these things must be absolutely horrific. <laughs> it must be difficult to fly with a disc. Oh, just it must have a, an effect on the way on the way that it, it taxis through the air. It, it, well, the disc on top. I remember I interviewed the guy with the AWACS at the uh, Molot Air Show, and he said mm. it. Um, it they don't really know, they don't, no, there's no. He actually said it. He like, just it's just a bit more cumbersome. He said, there's no right. real, but there's a slight bit of noise you get from that, right. obviously being okay. on top, yeah. um, on top of the aircraft. Mm. So moving on, next story on Flight Global site. And uh, the headline, B, uh, Boeing E-3G makes Middle East combat debut. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. Air Force has sent its newly upgraded E-3G Sentry into harm's way for the first time oh, on deployment no. to Southwest Asia. 
where it will presume, uh, presumably be supporting the increasingly cluttered air campaign against mm. Islamic State militants in Iraq and Syria. Yeah. The deployment that began on in the 18th of uh, uh, November marks the Boeing Block 40-45 upgrade program's long-awaited combat debut after more than 12 years of development. Uh, the installation and testing of this uh, has been in the making for a long time. Colonel David Gediki, commander of the uh, 552 uh, Air Control Wing at uh, Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma, says the aircraft will begin flying combat missions immediately. Nine of the eventual 24 aircraft have uh, received the upgrade through the Air Force's Oklahoma City Air Logistics Complex, replacing the century's long outdated 1970s computer technology with an earlier or an early uh, 2000s standard uh, computer system. The modifications also set a baseline for future upgrades. Shifting from the Block 3035 to the Block 4045 configuration is the most extensive E3 airborne warning and control system capability improvement in the Cold War platform's 38-year history, according to the Air Force. This is the initial combat deployment for the capability after numerous exercises, says Kadiki, while the air tactics and techniques and procedures employing the new capability continue to be refined and exercises like Red Flag allow crews to gain experience with the system, which include capabilities unavailable with the 3035 block aircraft. So the upgrade comes with a deployable ground system that receives, processes, and uh, disseminates data as an extension of the aircraft's airborne surveillance, tracking, and command and control mission. The $2.7 billion upgrade entered development under Boeing uh, in 2003 and achieved initial operational capability with uh, five fully equipped E3Gs this July. The Air Force originally intended to upgrade all 31 AWACS aircraft in its inventory, but will instead push to retire seven by the fiscal year of 2019 to avoid the upgrade costs and harvest those 707-320-based aircraft for out-of-production components. Of the current fleet, 27 are based at Tinker Air Force Base, uh, two are at uh, Kadena Air Force Base in Japan and two patrol the American and Canadian West Coast from Joint Base Eldermondorf-Richardson in Alaska. The E3G deploying uh, to the U.S. Central Command Area will likely have its hands full helping coordinate the growing multinational air campaign against ISIS in the wake of the Paris attacks and keeping uh, track of Russian aircraft operating uh, unilaterally in Syria. Mm. Um, obviously, this is a, this is an aircraft that I've, you know, I've seen before up close. This yeah. aircraft, yeah. Just bring that picture down. But again. Um, there we go. Yeah. I interviewed the uh, the NATO pilot of this one at Malta this year, mm. um, which I think we've got, we've got to we've got to play that at some point. I, I think mm. that's coming up. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen inside this aircraft, um, not with the systems powered on, but I've been mm. inside the aircraft where all the, the uh, stations are, and you would love it, Matt. It's like a it's like a tech haven. Really? Oh, God, yeah, it's, 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 it's really good. Actually, I've also seen the wiring looms that, that run on the aircraft yeah, as well, and they yeah, are yeah. Pretty, a, pretty large. Yeah, I bet a bit of a mess. <laughs> Actually, just say hello to a few people in the chat room there. I'm just, uh, for, for me, I'm just going to say hello to Josh. He's watch, watching with uh, um, Rob, his dad, obviously Mr. VoiceOver Guy, um, whose equipment we're using, which is how come the video is so much better. Oh, than right, it was. okay. Uh, Thanks for that, Rob. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, Ray is just joined us as well. 
Uh, Ray he, Davis. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, actually, while we're while we're on that subject on, uh, from from down under, we've got a very special guest next week, which I'm quite excited about. We've actually got uh, Grant McCarran actually joining yeah. us. Grant uh, uh, Grant McCarran is going to join us yeah, uh, next week. Absolutely. So make show. sure you stick that in the diary. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be recording on the Saturday for that. That's obviously because of the time differences to uh, and and his dates in the diary. Because if a- anybody who watches his uh, watch you know watches his Facebook feed, I mean, uh, I don't think there's a day go by where he isn't on an aeroplane. Moment, I, know, I mean, I he's know. flying about all over the place. So I'm looking forward to talking to him about that. In the chat room, Ray Davis, uh, he said he's at the war. He's at the Warbirds. Yes, Down under show. Yeah. Uh, he's just woke up and getting uh, ready to show his son his first official air show. Oh, how cool well is that? Done. How cool yeah. is that? Have yeah. a good day, Ray. Yeah, Enjoy absolutely, it. Absolutely, he will. But send us, send us some pictures. Yep. We'd like that. Uh, yeah, mm, take some pictures. Absolutely. Long as they're commercial aircraft, because I, I like commercial aircraft. There's nothing wrong with a bit of military aircraft. Me, me and Dan on. were just saying in the chat room, Dan Hannington, he prefers his commercial stuff to, uh, to mm. military. So, Oh, my goodness. My friend Sam is in the Sam Watson. Little Sam is in the chat room. Hello, Hello, Sam Sam. Watson. Hello. Give him a wave. Yeah. Hang on. Let me put that. Let me put that shot. We go. Hello. 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 We've got all our friends in tonight, haven't we? I know. It's cool. What have you done with all yours? They're all gone. (laughs) (laughs) Matty Fab's my friend. (laughs) Matty Fab's my PPL friend. Oh, is he? Right. So. Last story. Yes, yeah, the last story. Uh, This one's left for me, isn't it? This is Flight Global, and the headline is Argentina seeks four Bell Helicopter 412EPs. Argentina's uh, request for four Bell Helicopter 412EPs utility rotorcraft has been approved by the U.S. State Department, according to a government notification. Uh, Buenos Aires, Buenos Aires... I can't help but do it in a silly accent. I'm very sorry to everyone I have just offended. Uh, Buenos Aires intends to use the unarmed twin-engine type for search and rescue, humanitarian and disaster relief, peacekeeping and scientific operations in Antarctica, uh, says the Defence Security Cooperation Agency. The proposed sale will improve Argentina's standardisation of operational procedures, logistics and associated maintenance and augment its uh, current inventory of US origin utility helicopters, the notice says. Now, that's a, it's a very basic looking aircraft, actually. I'll just stick that up on the old uh, thing. It just, just looks like something that, that somebody would just fly from one part of the country to... A, to another in, but uh, anyway, it, it, the looks like, it looks like one of those helicopters that you'd use for a film shoot. Somewhere. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that, that, yes, that's where I was going with that. Thank you for bailing me out again. The uh, deal is worth up to eighty million dollars, including spare parts, tools, pilot and maintenance training, and ground support equipment. If it proceeds, the four one two EPs would be acquired through the U.S. government's foreign military sales process, according to. The uh, Flight Global's Fleet's Analyzer database, Argentina's U.S. origin rotorcraft inventory includes 10 Bell 212s and 412s and 12 MD helicopters, MD-500s, and one military standard UH-1N Huey, powered by twin uh, Pratt & Whitney Canada PT-6T 3D engines. The 412 EP accommodates two crew and up to 13 passengers. That's quite That's cool, not bad, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Big numbers, yeah. The 412 EP. I was just going to find out a mm. bit of info on that one. It's the Bell. It's the, uh, yeah, it's the Bell 412 EP. Mm-hmm. Um, this helicopter, actually, that, this was in the uh, film San Andreas, actually. I remember this one. Yeah. Um, but it's early 80s, this one. 80, 1981, it was introduced into service. Uh, it's used by the RAF, actually. Yeah. Um, I've seen these fly over us quite a bit, the uh, yeah. training guys use this this helicopter yeah and well and of course the, this area is absolutely rife with mm. sort of training, training these mat have got a very distinct air noise these are mm. very boom, 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 right, when they fly yes. over yeah. 
because uh, of the large rotor diameter of these uh, these helicopters. But uh, oh, Ray, Ray's just said in the chat room. Sorry, my my son's favourite plane so far is the F eighteen. Ah, <laughs> oh, the F eighteen yeah. gone for gone from military there. That's what I like to hear. Oh. <laughs> So we have, uh, that's the last of the military news. It is, uh, yes. News. yes. We, um, we have got, uh, obviously, a bit, a couple of interviews from the Malta International yes. Air Show, yep. which I took earlier this year. Yep. And after that, we've got uh, some listener feedback from uh, someone who's in the chat room right now. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's so do it then, So we're going to we? do, uh, first we're going to kick off then with the uh, next two of the interviews that yep. I took this year at the Malta International Air Show. Uh, Air Show. Air Show. So uh, we're going to play those for you. Absolutely, but stay, stay in the chat room, yeah, guys. Stay in the chat room. Um, we'll, we'll be chatting as we listen out to that as well. So, uh, yeah, here we go. So, here they are. Live from Malta. Okay, so you join me then on the uh, Malta International Air Show 2015, and I'll be very lucky indeed to uh, get on board a C 130. And I'm here with Kyle. And, uh, Kyle, what's your position uh, in the Air Force? So, I'm a C 130J loadmaster. Um, which, so I, I deal with the, bat, the back of the plane. Um, it'll be cargo, passengers. Uh, if we have nothing in the back to do, then we'll sit up front and I'll augment the pilots. Um, back them up on some of the fuel panels, back them up on some of the panels, keep them honest in the plane, make sure they don't fall asleep while flying, which would be a bad thing. Um, but we, we take care of the back of the plane. Oh, cool. So um, the actual aircraft itself, um, this uh, aircraft in question, what's its actual, actual designation, this aircraft? So we're the C-130J Super Hercules, and we're the stretch model because they do have a, a stubby uh, for short um, for the smaller J models. Um, so at a Ramstein, uh, it's where we're, at, we're based out of is Germany, uh, Ramstein, Germany. Uh, it's the uh, we have all of our planes, 14 of them, are all stre uh, stretch models. Uh, so with the stretch, uh, we can fit two more pallet positions than the older H model. Um, we can also we increase our paratroop drops uh, to tw uh, 97. Um, we can carry about 138 passengers on board if with no parachutes, just um, ground troops or just passengers we're taking in and out of places. Uh, Cargo-wise, we can hold about uh, 42,000 pounds is our max cargo load now um, in the back, and that can range from two, like a fire truck and some pallets, or all eight pallet positions filled up. Um, so that, uh, our max weight has also increased because of the, the span of the, uh, the length of the plane, and the, the uh, <clears throat> uh, upgraded engines as well have helped out a lot as well. Awesome. So with this aircraft itself, the C-130J, when it's in the air flying at cruise, is it fairly noisy inside here? Uh, not really. I mean, when you're off headset, it can be because the plane here, we're not as insulated as a commercial airline. You would see like a Boeing 747 or the new Airbus A380. Um, the back of the planes, it's just there's insulation, but it's just they're not plastic panels. It's just all kind of... Um, paper and some mache in the back the reason being is so if we have to get to any of our system panels it's easier for us to just unbutton because they're, they're all buttoned up unbutton that panel take it off and move it to the side and get to the landing gear or any other panels we need to get to versus having to unscrew or, or have just plastic there in, in the way uh, so we have a lot of emergency procedures in place for us to take care of things in the plane versus having to land and have someone take care of it that way uh, we mitigate a lot, of that, a lot of that by doing it in the air so do you have some of the amenities that you have on a, a commercial airline? Do you have the, you know, a, a toilets and a galley and stuff? So we have a galley, actually. Uh, we have a, a microwave. Uh, the old model had a, an oven, so sometimes you'd get some of the crew, they'd bake cupcakes or they'd bake you know, cookies and stuff. Wow. Uh, they got rid of that. Uh, however, we do sell a microwave and, uh, and coffee pots uh, up front. Now, some of the crew won't fly with our microwave because what else are we going to do on a, you know, an eight-hour flight? Uh, so I'd make our popcorn and whatnot, but... Um, in the back of the plane, we do now also have a lavatory. Uh, it's not like you're going to see in a commercial airline, so it's still it's similar to like a Porter John, 
Uh, but it does flush, so you don't have to worry about that looking down and seeing someone else's <laughs> stuff. But uh, it is in the back, and there's a curtain back there as well for the passengers and the crew. Um, again, older models, it was just a honey bucket that the people would go into, and the first person who would have to use it would have to clean it out. So you know, in the, in the past, you'd, if you had to go, you'd either hold it or you'd wait till you really had to go so you weren't the first person to use it. Um, now it's just, oh, anyone has to go to the bathroom, just walk to the back, use it, and, uh, and just flush Cool. So it's your first time at the uh, Malta International Air Show? <clears throat> yes, sir. Uh, so the whole crew here, uh, the, the six of us, it's our first time here in Malta. Uh, our base does do other air shows, but it's the first time here in Malta. Uh, so far, it's been great. The temperature back in Germany was a little iffy before we came, so we get here in clear skies, beautiful weather. Uh, it's a lot nicer than when we just came from. Uh, and people here are really nice. The weather's good. It's, we've had, we're having a good time since we've been here. Cool, cool. You're being looked after by the, uh, by the organizers here. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, they have us kind of on a stricter time schedule, so we've gotten some meetings, some meet and greets with some people, some dinners we have to go to. But after that, they they kind of let us loose to go explore the town and, and see sightseeing and stuff. Uh, just make sure we're back at the air show the next day at 10 a.m. Cool. So where's home for you, Carl? So when I'm not stationed in Germany, uh, Florida, um, South St. Petersburg is, what, is where I call home. Uh, it's, again, nicer weather. It's similar to this with the humidity down there. Uh, it can get pretty humid in Florida, so I'm kind of used to it. It's a little humid here today, but um, some of the guys are from up north where they're just it's just cold and they're not used to this humidity. But for me, I like it. I, I'm used to it. Um, it's uh, been there for a while. Oh, awesome. So, Carl, a bit about your career then. How did things start for you? Was it an early sort of passion for aviation or flying? Or? So I'm from a military family, so I've moved around a lot. My dad was in, served 25 years in the U.S. Air Force as an F-16 mechanic. Uh, my brother is currently serving. He's been in for 15 years um, doing his air traffic control. And so then there's me. So it's, I always knew the Air Force was going to be a role that I was going to play. Uh, I joined a little later than my, both my dad and my brother did and most kids. Uh, most people will join out of high school around 18, 19 years old. Uh, however, I, I, had a, I had a current job, and I was, I was liking it, but then... Uh, I realized it was my time to join, so I'm um, not sure if I'm going to do a whole 20 years career or if I'm going to do four years, but I've, so I've been in since 2012, and so about just three years now, actually. Uh, last month was my three-year mark, um, so I will most likely re-enlist, especially being a loadmaster on the C-130. We get to travel so much. We see so much. Uh, it's, it's a great time, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm more leaning more towards staying in for sure, uh, but I, it was always something that I knew uh, I was going to be in for the Air Force. So we talked on we talk on the show when we interview pilots and stuff at their shows and that we talk to pilots all the time, but we don't, never get a chance really to talk to people in like, you know, load masters like yourself. What sort of uh, training and, and and kind of bits do you go through to become the load master? So for load master in the Air Force, it's about a year and a half of schooling between, and that's after your basic training that you do in the, the military. You go from your few months of basic training and then you start your actual job training. Uh, it's about a year and a half like I was saying. You go, you go through you don't know what aircraft you're going to be until about halfway through so the first part of it you're just learning how to survive in the wilderness. You, you go how to survive in the water so we go to Pensacola, Florida. We do some water survival training uh, and then you do some basic numbers just to learn how to be a loadmaster and then about the halfway point is when they say hey you're going to go to this base and be on this aircraft and at that point you go to a different base to learn that that's that airplane specific so for like for the c-130j model we go to little rock arkansas and that's where we learn um how to be a c-130 loadmaster so now we have all the basics from before and now we just put it into c-130 world the c-130 numbers um we train <clears throat> we do about four months of groundwork and then another eight months of in-air work uh, to do airdrop we do um 
air land mission, thing like that, and then you'll you'll go to your actual base. So overall, um, it takes about a year and a half, but it's not too not too much work. Um, but it's still there's people that can wash out of the course because there is a lot of numbers we have to learn. I mean, the pilots so they they do a lot of their own, uh, but for us in the back, they don't really they don't deal with things in the back. So we have to make sure that the everything in the back is weighted right the right way. They have they have we have to make sure that it's all the right size dimensions. We learn all that. Uh, if our computers fail, we have to learn how to do all the calculations on our on our own with like either a calculator or just in our head. Uh, so the pilots will be like, "Hey, are we good to fly?" And you have to be the one to say, "Yes, we are." Or, "No, we aren't." And you have you have to be really sure. I mean, <clears throat> such a big plane, maybe 100 pounds, may not make a difference. But we start dealing with a lot of big connexes that people will just shove things in there. You don't really know what's in there, so um, we have to. You, you actually train us on how to make make sure that the connexes are, are sized, they're strapped down the right way. Um, we we load like vehicles for training, just a practice of that as well. Because we can, like I said, we can do anything from air land to air drops. We'll load Humvees in one in one mission. We can go from dropping off some people down at an airstrip, but then picking up something to go airdrop somewhere else. So multi capable in the aircraft, and in the back it's a lot of work. So the pilots will land the plane, and then when they land, they're still in the cockpit, and we're in the back unchaining all the devices, getting all the Humvees off or vehicles off, and then unloading all the cargo, offloading all the cargo. And then we'll let them know, hey, we're good to go in the back, and then we'll take off and go. So there's a lot of work in the back that you know that um, people don't. Yeah, they, they see the pilots. Oh, I don't fly the plane, but it's, it's a little dirty work in the back. We can get we get our hands dirty. So maths is definitely uh, something you need to have a, a good uh, head for. Absolutely. Um, I mean, now with the J model, there are a lot of computer systems that do a lot of the math for us. Um, however, our regs state that if those computers fail, we can still technically fly the plane. So we have to be able to, at times, do the math on our own. So if the computers were to fail, we could still continue on with the mission. Um, some people like to think that they can't fly without the, some of the computers we use in the back, but we can. We can absolutely still go. Um, so that's where that comes into play. So, But until the computer fails, it's pretty simple because we just type in the numbers of the cargo, put it in the box. It says, oh, yep, you're good to go. Um, but if it fails, you need to be able to flip that switch really quick and be like, oh, I need this on my own, uh, fill up paper by myself, do the calculator, do the math calculations. Uh, the one thing the computer will never tell you, though, is how much straps or how many chains to put on a piece of cargo to strap to the floor to make sure during takeoff and landing it doesn't shift in the air, in the airplane, which is one of the your number one causes of, of, air, of air crashes for cargo planes. It's called uh, load shift. So, you know, the load master or whoever strapped the cargo down in the back of the plane, they either didn't put enough on there or if they put it on the wrong way, so the chains or straps came off or the cargo just went through it and the load shifts in the plane and that's what happens with most of the cargo aircraft going down is load shift issues so that's someone in the back not not really doing their job the right way that's one of the things you hear with commercial airlines you have the thing called weight and balance which is a big issue with 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 commercial airlines but it's a similar thing as, as you said to what you have with this aircraft absolutely so <clears throat> commercial airlines you don't really see it as much because they, I mean, obviously they don't, they don't tell every single passenger hey we're needing to do this for weight and balance um, but it's, it comes into play with all type of cargo aircraft. So with our plane, it's in the back. Uh, we have something called a percent of Mac. So it's it's where the teeter point it really is on the plane uh, to figure out if we're too nose heavy, too tail heavy. So we always have to sit right in the middle of that, and that changes all the time. So we'll be at one percentage when we take off, but when we land, we've burned fuel. Uh, we'll drop people off, so now that number will go back even further or forward, depending on what we have. If we have armor on the plane, that affects the weight and balance of the nose, because most of the armor is up in the front of the cockpit, so now we're a little nose-heavy, so now we need to push things towards the back of the plane uh, to uh, 
offset the balance of the weight in the front. So even yeah, even with commercial airlines, when they when they, they come with the intercom and say, oh, for weight and balance purposes, we have to move you know passengers' bags more to the back, more to the front. Same thing with us. We have to move bags to the back, bags to the front, cargo around the plane. Uh, it, 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 it definitely is a huge player when it comes to cargo aircraft. Cool. So, Carl, rounding up then, uh, what, what sort of plans you got for the future? Any any big plans for the future? So, hoping, like I said, I mean, I'll most likely choose to stay in for 20 years. And not sure I'll be a loadmaster for the whole time, only because there's not a lot of opportunities outside of the Air Force for it. Um, however, there's you know, growing industry of drones. So, it, you know, the Air Force is getting really big into drone flying. So, possibly looking into something, doing something like that. Um, the Air Force might open that up to more people to enlist to uh, to fly the drones. Overall, I probably see myself going there, but if not, I'm 100% fine staying as a loadmaster. Uh, like I said, we travel so much, and it's, it's a lot of fun. We see a lot of people, meet a lot of people, do a lot of cool things, and you just can't replace that with anything. Cool. Well, Carl Malik, thanks very much for your time joining us on the Plane Talking UK podcast. It's been fantastic to speak to you. It really has. And uh, and all the best, and hope you enjoy the rest of the Malta International Air Show 2015. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Okay, back again for another interview at the Royal uh, Malta International Air Show uh, 2015. And uh, I'm here with Rich, and we're standing in front of a Beechcraft King Air. Uh, now, Rich, what's your position uh, within the Royal Navy? Hi, Carlos. Uh, I'm a qualified observer instructor, so my job is to train the future uh, naval aviators uh, who will be flying from our ships uh, in the basics of navigation, radar techniques, uh, yeah, on a uh, sort of four to five month course, depending on how, how uh, astute the student is. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, navigation, I can quite uh, agree with you there. It's, uh, it's one of the things I'm now starting to learn with the whiz wheel, which you've probably heard of the whiz wheel, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm just taking a break from that now. <laughs> yeah, I've got my, we call it a Dalton. We've got mine in the back of the aircraft, and you, you always take it everywhere you go. So uh, it's, uh, it's the cornerstone, really, for the, for the baby aviators that we, uh, we train. So the King Air then, you've, got, you've flown over here for the, for the show on, on the King Air? That's correct, yeah, we've got the 350 extended range version, so it's got over-wing uh, extra fuel tanks, uh, and we were able to come down in one hop, uh, whereas the one next to me from the uh, Air Force is the 200, uh, and they had to stop off at Nice. Uh, on the way back, we've got a bit of a headwind, so we'll be refueling at Nice as well. But four, four hours 30 from uh, RNS Cold Rose in Cornwall, direct. Four hours? Four, that's not bad, that's it. I said we've done it in th uh, two hours fifty three minutes yesterday with uh, with the, the uh, wonderful airline that is EasyJet. <laughs> yeah, we were making good about two eighty Taz, I think, for the for the route down. Cool. So, what uh, what does your job really sort of bait or entail? All the bits and pieces you do. Uh, so, my background is I'm a qualified um, observer on ASW Merlin helicopter. I uh, did that for about five years, and then I came across to be an instructor. Uh, for more sort of family life and stability in a second line tour so my job is to take uh, guys with no flying experience they've passed their aptitude test they've passed their grading which they'll do after doing their officer training at Dartmouth they'll come down to us uh, and it used to be an eight month course and in the, uh, the SDSR and the, the UK military training flying systems had it all abridged and we cut that down almost in half to really a four month course that's 17 uh, weeks and they start off in the real basics, so again using the whiz wheel, no um, nav kit, no INS, no GPS, nothing at all. And then we slowly build it up and then they'll move on to the radar phase and they'll go out and they'll do like a, a radar search of a, a sea area. They'll find some contacts and they'll go, right, let's go and have a look and investigate that. 
and they'll do homings and controlled approaches using the radar to go and practice really what's going to be their bread and butter when they go on to either the Merlin, the Seeking or the Lynx Wildcat uh, in the Fleet Air Arm later on if they make the grade. So we're the the pre-OCU if uh, some of the guys might be familiar with that. They come to us first and then they go on to the operational conversion unit afterwards. You tend to find a lot of young, sort of younger, the younger people who start off early with the training and stuff like that. Do you find it's a, a lot of youngsters who come up straight from college or uni? Yeah, I'd say the average age is uh, sort of 20, 21. We get joining, they might have gone away, done a bit of travelling and stuff, but the, the military is especially keen on getting these guys younger and younger. But they, I think the maximum age to join up now is about 26 still, might even be a bit younger than that. So we do get guys, by the time they come to us, they, they might be sort of approaching late 30s um, still but generally uh, I'd say yeah sort of 20 21 year olds coming through which is good not people my age and close to 40 <laughs> you don't look a day over 21 Carlos alright that's uh, cream cakes on me then <laughs> so I was saying to you before we started the King Air um, is one of these aircraft that, that people don't tend to hear a huge amount about um, so what, what is it like to, you know, to be on board the King Air as, as an aircraft to sort of be a passenger or to fly in uh, it's absolutely fantastic. There's uh, reliability. I think it's the first key thing. You know, it's obviously cheaper uh, and a lot easier to maintain this than than being on a helicopter, which is why the first stage of navigation training, observer training, is done on a fixed wing platform. Um, and in terms of the actual aircraft, uh, it's obviously built, I think, in Wichita, and then we strip out all the nice, good bits and pieces. And then we've got all the navigation kit down the back. So that's two student consoles where they can operate the radar, all the comms. And we sit next to them, literally just using a Windows-based laptop operating system to input um, synthetic feeds in there. So there's no real data link. There's no real ESM, which is electronic support measures. Um, But we can put things in to simulate that and all the stuff that they'll be using on their frontline helicopters. But in terms of a classroom, it's just fantastic, comfortable, like I said, good range. There's a toilet on board if you get stuck, um, pressurised, you know, aircon, you name it. So, yeah, it's really, really good. Oh, cool. How long does the training take, generally, Rich, from, from sort of start to finish for someone starting off fresh? Uh, well, if you take out the officer sort of training I did, it was a three-year process for me, um, which was about eight months on 750 Squadron, which I'm, uh, I'm on now. And then I had to go on a, on a holdover uh, where I was doing sort of non-aviation related uh, work. And then it took me about 15 months to convert to Merlin on the OCU, as I mentioned, which is a primarily anti-submarine warfare fighting helicopter. Uh, and then another nine months before I was given certificate of competence, which is basically them signing off and saying, yeah, you're good to go sort of on anything now. So, And then and then from there you get aircraft commander and so on later on. So your, your career, did it, did it start, you know, was it a really early age you started off with your passion for aviation flying or, you know, for being, you know, for working within the aviation side of the uh, Royal Navy? Well, I guess you could say we come full circle. My dad used to take me to Riyadh and uh, Yeovilton Air Days, and I thought, that's pretty cool. I definitely want to go flying, and it has to be in the military. Uh, I got a scholarship, which led into a bursary from the Royal Air Force uh, as a WISO, and then I transferred across because I preferred the role of a Navy observer. Uh, after I finished my degree at uh, Cardiff University and did some flying with the University Air Squadron there, uh, and then joined up at 21, uh, and I've been in for nine, nine and a bit years now. Wow, what's the what's the future for you? What what do you want? All your plan, big plan, plans for the future? I've been lucky enough to do almost three years here uh, early next year. 
uh, and I'll be going back to um, re-qualify on the Merlin Mark II ASW helicopter, uh, and they're heavily involved in the, uh, all the operations that are going on at the moment, the, the refugee crisis, uh, the, the, the Merlin at the far end there, my friends, they've been flying out here for a month, uh, they were on HMS Bulwark and they've now been actually uh, operating from this airfield for the last month, flying down there and doing maritime patrol. Uh, and also we've got obviously operations in the Middle East all the time, um, so I can expect to go back and, and be uh, operational again. Cool. Well, Rich Thorpe, thanks very much for your time and joining us on the Plane Talking UK podcast. It's been great to talk to you, and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of uh, your time here at the Malta International Air Show. Many thanks. Great to uh, catch up with you. Thank you. Take care. Hello. <laughs> and we're back. Why are you counting? I don't know why I'm counting. I like counting. <laughs> You're very special. So, uh, <laughs> hello, we're back, everyone. Hello, hello everyone. Yes, we're back, hi. yes. I yes. uh, hope you enjoyed those interviews from the Malta International Air Show. We've got a few more to bring you uh, from there in the upcoming mm. episodes. Absolutely. And also, uh, as you probably know, if you'd, have, uh, if you'd have heard, I think Matt mentioned it on the last show, mm. um, for the Christmas shows, because we're going to have a little break over Christmas. We are. We're going we're um, to be very naughty and treat ourselves to Christmas and New Year off. Yes, we're going to have a break for Christmas. We but we are, um, we're going to do an episode just before Christmas. Yeah. But during the Christmas break, we are going to um, have a couple of episodes kind yeah. of... Um, We've got a couple in the can, basically. Yeah, pre-recorded. We, we, yeah. And we're going to run the um, massive, massive uh, two-hour-long... Mm. We're going to split up interview that I took at the Malta International Avia or the Malta Aviation Museum uh, at Takali in Malta. We're going to run that uh, over Christmas, which mm. is awesome. You've got yeah. to listen to that, guys, because yeah, yeah. um, the whole whole you know the interview that I done there was yeah. fantastic. It and, was, and yeah. We're going to have that on yeah. on the uh, Christmas time. Uh, hello, Big Ron. By the way, joining us in the chat room, Big Ron. Hello to you. Um, he's uh, he's just popped up on there, and uh, there's some loads of chat going on in the chat room. We, we're just yeah. commenting on that, how great it is to see everyone in the chat room yeah. talking to each other. It's lovely. Um, it's yeah. really good. It's really good. Um, yeah, it's you're doing, Matty you're doing as proud as always. Guys. I know yeah. Matty Fabs put you know the the, the good thing. Out, it's it's nice to speak with like-minded people. Mm, absolutely, yeah, he's yeah. good. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's absolutely. Great. As I say, I mean, it's a sh- shameless pinch. I'm afraid from Captain Jeff. I mean, that's where we nick the idea from. Let's be honest, but. I know. Uh, you know, I'm sure he doesn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got some listener feedback, mm, yes. uh, some audio feedback, and uh, we're going to play that for you in a bit. Uh, don't forget to send us some listener feedback because we we love mm. to hear oh, from yeah, you. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 we, yeah, we like to hear what you sound like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're sick of hearing each other. I know. I mean, we know. So uh, it'd be nice to. But we know. we know we obviously know what Matty Fab sounds like. We do, and we yes. know what Pilot Pip sounds yes, like. Absolutely. Um, so we'd love to hear what you sound like. Yeah. So please do send us some voice feedback. We'll put mm. the details of how to do that at the end of the show mm. and send it through, and we'll play it on the show. But we have got some to play for you now. We have. And uh, it's uh, someone who's in the chat room who sent us some feedback. So yeah. we're going to play that for you right now. Hi, Carlos and Matt and the Plain Talking UK listeners. It's Dan Hannington here. And this is my first audio feedback to the show. And that's very shameful, I know. But I just wanted to ask a question, really. Last night I saw that Carlos had uploaded some old family photos onto Facebook. And it got me thinking, really, about my earliest memories of aviation and flying and my question to you guys is Carlos and Matt and the, and the guys in the chat room what are your earliest memories of aviation or flying mine for example was when I was around four years old and we were on an airplane going to Lanzarote and 
I remember being led down the aisle of the aircraft um, to the back by my granddad to have a look out of the window and being completely amazed by just the mass expanse of blue sky and ocean and the memory will always stick with me and I was later informed by my parents that I was an actually a nervous flyer which isn't true today but when I was at four years old on that aircraft I was a nervous flyer and at takeoff, the sound of the engine spooling up really made me squirm and I did not enjoy it at all but I must admit how times have changed Anyway, guys, I just wanted to say that I think you do a superb job every week producing the show. From watching the live feed, I can see how much preparation just goes into one episode, so I just want to say keep up the great work. I really do appreciate it, and I know everyone else does. That's all for now. Speak to you soon. Bye. Aww. Oh, thank you for that, Dan Hannington. Yeah. Absolute legend that you are. Um, don't forget you can uh, catch Dan Hannington on the dh underscore aviation on instagram i ah, think cool. it is yeah, yeah. Dan, so come on then he's asked the question what is your earliest memory of uh, of aviation <laughs> right, so dan asked planes. that question my earliest yeah. memory so uh my earliest memory of of actually um I've got a few coming in the chat flying. room by the way so great, um, great. yeah ping them out my earliest memory of flying uh, my first ever commercial flight was uh in 1980 Five. Mm. Uh, it was either 84, 1984 or 1985. And it was on an Aviogenics, or Aviogenics, however you want to pronounce it, <laughs> uh, which is a Russian uh, yeah. air, airline at the time, uh, or Yugoslavian, sorry, Yugoslavian airline. Mm. It was on a flight to Yugoslavia, yep. uh, to Dubrovnik, and it was on a Tupolev TU-134A. <laughs> um, now, Matt, do you, do you Matt know, probably doesn't know what this no, is. No, I have no idea. Uh, what frightens me the most, because I was thinking what my, what, what mine was, and, and I, I, I genuinely can't remember. I mean, I remember going on holiday, and I think the first holiday that, because the first holiday I remember was going to France, but that was a coach holiday. And I, um, I think the first plane flight I ever took was actually to Greece. But don't ask me what, because we actually stayed in, well, we stayed in two places. We stayed in Athens, and we also stayed um, on, on an island called Zakynthos. Mm. And, but don't ask me what the aircraft was, because I have absolutely no chuffing idea whatsoever. Well, the, the TU-134A, which I flew on, is a ex-Cold War bomber converted mm. into passenger use um, by the Russians. Um, it's uh, a twin-engine air, uh, aircraft with the, the engine at the rear, mm. on each side at the rear. Yeah. And uh, it, it sticks in my mind as, as one of those flights mm. I will never forget, being my first. And also, it was the one and only time that I have ever ever been sick oh, no, on board really? an aircraft. Really? Yeah, it That's was a one and only time. Um, but a uh, fantastic uh, aircraft, it really was. It, yeah. was um, you know, it is Russian built. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's old school stuff now. But they are still flying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, uh, Sam, Sam's put in the chat room, he's, he was actually saying, and I agree with him actually, one of my earliest memories is the lowest off air show. Because that was mm. quite legendary. And, of course, I was, I was one of the people who was actually standing on the beach playing in the water when the Harrier fell into the, into the sea, when it, when it all went horribly wrong oh, and yeah. ejected. Uh, I'm sure some, several people will remember that actual, actual story. Of course, that Lowestoft is, is only about six miles from where we are now, you see. So mm. it's, um, it's, it's one of those. Any, any other memories in the chat room there? Matty Fab mm. uh, going on holiday with mum and dad, looking ah, out yes. of the plane ah. and seeing Britannia's 757. Oh, oh. 
from the 757 mm. that he was in. Mm. Oh, I remember the Britannia 757. Really? Fantastic. Yes. I think most of those sorry, are I, cargo I, planes. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm having a, a sneaky drink. Look, it's like I've decided I've officially knocked off work, look, and it's Alfie Gin and Tonic. Look. Alfie? Isn't Alfie the name of your dog? It is the name of my dog. I'm not drinking the dog. I should just stress. I, d- I developed an, an unhealthy love for gin and tonic. Mother's terrified because I hate gin. Oh no, it's lovely. Oh, yeah, that's that. That would be my best friend's fault. That would be we on Halloween. I drank a lot of gin and decided I liked it. <laughs> no, you can. You, I'll have my whiskey. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Big Ron. Yeah. Uh, he can still remember seeing the Vulcan bombers flying oh, wow. over high level with the white lines behind them or the contrails. What I love. Called. What I love there is Vulcan bombers. Too yeah, plural. Like, what a, a, a lovely and one. amazing sight that must have been. Um, what else have we got here? We've got uh, Rob Rusters put the mm. Mildenhall Air Show. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, that that was. Uh, that's a shame they don't do that anymore, do they? Mm. Uh, yeah. What's Big Rob put under under Rob there? Um, uh, my first airliner flight was the DC nine to Heathrow. Oh, DC nine. DC nine oh, wow. from, from Teesside. Wow. <laughs> that was, was the, the DC nine. Uh, was um, very similar to the Mad Dog mm. that uh, Captain Jeff flies. Yeah, uh, yeah, very similar. He was saying he still remembers the. Is it G B M A H? Yeah, the What's registration. Uh, yeah, Golf okay. Bravo. Uh, Golf Bravo. <laughs> Golf Bravo. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike, Mike Alpha. Alpha. So I'm having a mind block. Hotel. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Jonathan Warner. He's saying my first ever flight was in a VC10. VC10. <laughs> <laughs> How did you manage to fly the VC-10? When I was a cadet, a, a cadet uh, tanking tornadoes and jaguars over the North Sea. The VC, there's a VC-10 at Duxford. Is there? At um, the Aviation Avi- yeah. Museum mm. at Duxford, Cambridge. Yeah. The VC-10, Matt, is the one which has got the engines at the rear, um, and it's got two each side. Right, and they're okay. sort of together. Like yeah. that. You look it's like you're doing the, the heart radio <laughs> symbol there. Yeah, I love you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have we got any more? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Rob's put his first experience of, so a, of a one-pound steak burger. Now, you see, this is what I, this, this is a man after my own heart. You know, it's all about the food. Never mind the aeroplanes. It's all about the food. <laughs> so there we go, Dan. Thanks for your yeah. uh, thanks. Thanks for your yeah. audio Cracking feedback. Cracking audio feedback. Yeah. So uh, please do keep mm. sending it in to get in touch with the show. Uh, it is obviously uh, com. The uh, Facebook is uh, Plain Talking UK. Obviously, just search that in Facebook. Our Twitter handle is at Plain Talking UK. And if you want to email the show directly, our new email address, which we've been giving out for the last few weeks now is podcast at plain talking uk.com that's podcast at plain talking uk.com uh it, it doesn't matter what format the audio feedback is in we oh, really no. don't mind it can be in any language you like i have many skills at you, my disposal where i can translate you can, you can send a paper cup with a you string can. yes absolutely uh, to Matt yeah. and he'll, yeah. as long he'll as you warn me so it. that i can record it it's yeah. fine yeah uh, but uh, yeah they, just, just uh, go back to the chat room neil braden's put yeah. that uh, he remembers uh, the first flight was an air europe 757 oh, wow. in 1985 that's incredible. i can remember air europe i flew <laughs> on those many years ago that's fantastic anyway as always guys uh, your input in the chat room has m- helped to make this yeah. another really enjoyable show so thank you very much for that um, I'm it, almost gutted now we've got to wait a week until the next until show until the next show I know absolutely mm. but it is I'm afraid where we do have to bring episode number 87 to a close um, next week as I say we're recording for those who want to listen live obviously this will be available as a podcast are we as doing it always a Saturday is. next week we are doing Saturday Ooh. next week and we're going to start at 10 o'clock 
Um, 10 a.m. is when we're yeah, going to start 10 recording. 10 a.m. next Saturday. Um, so that's Saturday the... Uh, 28th, 28th of November, the day before my birthday. And uh, oh, Did you hear that, guys? <laughs> that's the day before Matt's birthday. So remember that, okay? Stop it. And, uh, yes, it's... Uh, yeah, we're going to be recording then. And we've got our very special guest. We've got the legend from the... Um, from playing... Playing crazy, crazy down, down under. under stuff. I keep wanting to. I, it's PD. I keep wanting to say PDCU. PDCU. Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah. I just get in a bit of a muddle. So yeah. So playing crazy down under, and we've got the legend that is Grant McCarran joining us live. So uh, if you've got any questions you want to ask him, if there's any questions you want to like, <laughs> well, I'm not even going to look at the chat room. I'm just going to put my hand over it, and pretend it's not there. Um, yeah. Sorry. So please do get your questions uh, in for Grant. Uh, so we've got lots of questions to ask. He's been doing loads of commentaries and stuff, hasn't he? He's yeah, been he has, yeah. Really doing the. the air show circuit so i'm really looking forward to, to to chatting to friend of the show you can stop laughing now. Um, um so grant mccarran is joining us next week so make yeah, sure yeah, if you are free saturday morning 10 a.m and we've got a live link up with australia so make sure you that's do episode join us. 88 next absolutely week. episode yeah. number 88 yes. and uh, good luck with the klingon masher i uh, hope you uh, i hope you learn that okay uh, i'm sorry what? sorry looking in the chat room mash is learning klingon <laughs> Apparently, why? Um, good because I'm a Star Trek fan. Yeah, so well, no, no, so good why, on you. But, uh, yeah, just, um, and uh, yeah, everyone. Every, oh, look at that! Oh, Sam's he, he's, he's yeah. Everyone's saying man. goodbye. So, so while they're all doing that, so while they're all do, saying goodbye, yeah, everyone, we shall do exactly the same. Yes. So, from all of us here in the conservatory studio this week, uh, from me, Matt, here in the conservatory studio, it is goodbye. And Carlos. And from me, with my finger on the on the on go the, button on the yeah. go button for the outro <laughs> music, it is a big goodbye to everyone in the chat room. Thanks for joining us this week. You're all absolute legends, and don't forget for all of you listening on uh, the downloadable iTunes mm, version. Absolutely. Uh, look for the links on our Facebook page to find uh, where we're going to be uh, broadcasting next week. Absolutely. Live on yeah, YouTube. Absolutely. Live on YouTube um, from 10 a.m. Saturday, the 28th of November. Uh, if you are listening on, on uh, iTunes, of course, uh, feedback is always appreciated. Yeah, please do. Make yeah. sure you subscribe and send feedback because it all helps to bump us up the ratings. So, anyway. Um, unfortunately, Philip Davis can't do Saturdays. Sorry, Philip. No, sorry, Philip. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that. uh, that's Grant McCarran's fault. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, blame him. Um, but he is worth having on. So it'll be worth listening to as a Dan, honestly, because yeah. he's always great value for money. Yeah. It is a time, then, then, ladies and gents, to bring episode 87 to a close. I am so hungry. I'm going to start eating this microphone. <laughs> <laughs> bye. 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 bye.